You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Greetings, everyone. This is Jerry Landry from the Presidencies of the United States podcast. Katie and Nathan asked me to give everyone a heads up that they do use strong language in this show. And if that's not your thing, this might not be the show for you. However, if you like hearing about perspectives from history that aren't always as well known, and individuals who might not be as familiar to the general public, but who had a great impact on history. After you listen to this great episode of the Queen's Podcast, I hope you'll come check out the Presidencies of the United States, available anywhere fine podcasts can be found. Thanks so much. Hi, this is Katie. And this is Nathan. And you're listening to Queen's Podcast, the show about badass women in history. Hey, Nathan. What time is it? It is time for Queen's Podcast. (laughs) Nathan, oh my gosh, we have... We have um, a woman from a country we've never been to before on this show. Uh, we've we've never traveled to medieval Japan before. So so excited! You know what? I love it. We we do sometimes end up in Europe for so long, episode after episode. So it's so nice when we get a really really great suggestion for somebody that you know is from a culture that we haven't gotten to explore before and i am so excited to Me give too. lady murasaki the queen's podcast treatment so nathan yeah. tell us who she tell us about lady murasaki who is she but 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 wait 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 let's talk about what we're drinking first hello oh, yeah. let's drink <laughs> Drink first, then nerd out. Love then it. nerd out. Love it. Um, so today we are drinking the sake mimosa, which, by the way, chef's kiss. These are um, a few of my favorite things. I love sake. I love sake. So two ounces of sake, one ounce of orange vodka, three quarters of an ounce of Grand Marnier, and then give it a good shake mm-hmm. and then pour it in a glass with some OJ, top it mm-hmm. up with some OJ. We're not drinking straight liquor here, girls. Um, but, Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but top it off with about a cup of OJ, and you have got a mimosa of mimosas from it's so good. Japan. It's, it's so delicious. So good. I love sake. Do you now? I usually drink sake warm. Oh, I don't. I don't. Are, I don't. Are you a cold or a warm gal? Is that what you're asking me? Yeah. So, which I mean, obviously, <laughs> it's cold in this drink. Obviously, it's cold in this yes. drink. But are you usually a warm or a cold gal? That is a very good question. Um, it depends on the food. If I'm doing sushi. I would rather warm. Okay. If I'm doing like a warm dish, I would mm-hmm. like cold. Yeah, that sake. makes sense. It's the I'm weird. Yeah. 
Uh, well, no, that, that makes total sense. Maybe that is. Whenever I go to a Japanese restaurant, I almost always do the vegetable roll, which is cold. So I never get anything. Like, I usually do that in a salad. So maybe that's why I... Well, and also, whenever we were in college, like, I had a boyfriend that, like, we broke up, but we were still friends. And so anytime me and Nathan or whoever I was with would go to this restaurant, this Japanese restaurant that he worked at, he would always give us free sake. And it was always the warm kind. So maybe I just associate it with free things. I don't know. Oh, that's probably it. Also, <laughs> this place served fried ice cream. I never, I've like, never had it. It was... Tempura fried ice cream. Is that and not got, normal? I, I don't, I'm not no, a dessert person. Okay. That is that is not normal. I am not a dessert person either, but I sincerely appreciated the effort that was put into fried ice cream. And it was like strawberry flavored and crunchy crispy. Oh. You know what? I did try it. So I remember one time seeing somebody that I was like, I got to have a bite of that. I got to see what that. I liked it. it I mean, I couldn't so, do a whole serving. It was so good. So good, but so bad. <laughs> Anyway, so Nathan, that this drink is delightful. Absolutely love it. Tell us about the woman who inspired it. Oh my gosh, she's so inspiring. Um, she <laughs> was a lady in waiting at the Imperial Court in Japan in Heian period. Um, <laughs> the Heian period. Yeah, that, 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 that's how hey I remember it. Hey um, I don't know who Yan is, but <laughs> but hey, he's relevant to this story. Um, <laughs> she she's most well known for being a poet and the world's first novelist. Novelist. Period. <laughs> I love that. Many historians, like there is some debate. Yeah. Um, but many historians do consider her book the world's first novel, and it was written by a woman. Yes, like not just first novel written by a woman, but first, first novel. novel. Period. <laughs> some people argue that maybe no, these other ones were, but like, um, I think uh, hers was the first one that uh, like really made the rounds, really made an impact. And really gave us insight into life in the Heiwan period um, in a time when for women, their lives were so secluded that we otherwise might not really have any idea no. what their lives were like then. Yeah. And also, you're going to hear us say a lot of Japanese names wrong. Um, super sorry. I tried. No, I, I, w I even messaged a friend of mine whose second language is Japanese and was like, can you please give me the phoneticals Help. for some of these? So <laughs> I really tried. But if we don't get the pronunciations just right, we tried. <laughs> We're trying so hard. So Lady Mirasaki was born in Aite, um, and who cares? Because bag of dicks. History. Bag of dicks, bag yes. Of History, History is, is a bag, bag of dicks. Of dicks. <laughs> no, we have no idea when she... Well, we kind, we maybe know the year, but yeah, sometime... Ish. ish sometime between <laughs> 973 and 978. And we know her throughout history as Murasaki Shikobu. Mm -hmm. But this wasn't the name that she was given at birth. Mm -hmm. uh, this was the name that was given to her after she wrote the novel. Um, we actually have no idea what her real name was, but in, in medieval Japan, it gets real complicated it's, with names. Yes, like, <laughs> they had this whole thing with names where, like, um, it was, it was, like, almost embarrassing to be so familiar with somebody 
that wasn't like in your immediate family to call them by the the like their birth name, like the name that they were given at birth, which is so so I found really really interesting and it also makes things really confusing. Yes, it does so confusing. Like we don't know her birth date, her year, her name, <laughs> but we know a little bit about the family. So Yeah. So while we don't know Nathan, do we know her birth year? No. Birthday? No. Her first name? Eh, wrong. We do know at least a little bit about her family. Her family was part of the very, very powerful Fujiwara clan. So they would have had surnames at like the beginning of their names. Yeah. Which is really different than like... um. Nathan, Nathan Foster, Foster is my surname, but yeah. I would have been called, like, Foster Nathan. Yeah, I think actually when we did Empress Wu, we ran into this kind of, like, naming system as well. Um, but yeah, there. so while we don't know her name, we do kind of have a guess, because there's one woman that's documented in court record, records named Fujiwara no Takato, so maybe that's her? I'm not saying, I'm just saying. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, it's our best guess. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit about the Fujiwara clan. Super powerful family. Mm-hmm. Very politically savvy. Mm-hmm. And their family is calling the shots, but in a behind the scenes, big kind of way. Right? Yeah, yeah and- like they're not sitting on the throne. But they're... It doesn't mean they're not the most powerful family in Japan at the time. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and by powerful we mean they marry their daughters off to emperors. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah. Because uh, you know, men secretly need women to run the show <laughs> and to make connections, to make marriages. Yeah, absolutely. Legit. During this time in court, one of her relatives becomes the grandfather to three emperors. I mean, political connection, right? So. Mm-hmm. However, Murasaki's family, they were, you know, quite powerful in the noble realm, but they're a less bougie branch. Yeah, you know, so there's like the Fujiwara, like, clan, but they're like, a, they're a couple of stories down yeah, from the top, the top. They're not in the penthouse no, of the Fujiwara n- clan. N- not yet. Not so, yet. <laughs> <laughs> they're powerful, but not that powerful connected but not that well connected so it's like that kind of family they were bougie enough that they were still richer than the average person but you know in medieval japan they're you know upper middle class i mean i would say they're they're still upper class but um yeah i would say they're uh you know but they're not like she wasn't raised at court you know she wasn't she was raised at home um yeah yeah so, so the the court in Japan is smack dab in the middle of the Heian period. <laughs> <laughs> so let's do a quick rundown of this Heian period. Um, <laughs> China and Japan are literally like that toxic couple that's super duper cute together, but breaks <laughs> up all the time. We've all known that couple. Yes. China is the overbearing boyfriend who wants to make Japan his ideal girlfriend, but Japan needs to be Japan, man. Yeah. So, like, in historical terms, China 
is heavily influencing Japanese culture throughout their history, right? Mm -hmm. So there are times that they get along and it's beautiful and wonderful and fabulous. They're taking photos of each other. Next They're getting to matching China, tattoos. East China Sea, selfie, who dat? Um, <laughs> and there are times that Japan literally is like, I'm so done with China. All of those photos from the East China Sea, delete, 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 delete. Um, Lock their number. Yeah, they're just constantly bickering. And at this point, in our story, in the Heian period, uh, <laughs> they're taking photos next to the East China Sea on the beach, just having crabs, having a great time. Not not the STD kind, just the regular crabs. <laughs> yeah. I um, or no, I watched one YouTube video from uh, do you know the creator John Green? Yes. Um, he has like this series. I think it's more for children, but whatever. I was watching it uh, about the Heian period. And about, like, specifically the time around uh, Murasaki. And they said that, you know, Japan was borrowing heavy from the Chinese culture. But it was kind of like, kind of like borrowing hev heavily, but like 100 years later. So they were like, it would be kind of like if we mm -hmm. went to another country and they were wearing American 1950s, like poodle skirts and stuff. And being like, we're American. And, and it's like, what? So what? China was, what? No, you're like, is this a time machine so china was always sort of like why are you so obsessed with us but like also obsessed with us a hundred years ago like yeah. it was just a really interesting like it's kind very of dynamic rabbit yeah. hole guys. rabbit hole <laughs> yes <laughs> so um lady murasaki's dad is this guy named tame toki i think is how you say it and he was you know he's part of this fujiwara noble family um, but however, in terms of like court life, he was pretty low on the totem pole. Yeah, I read that he was part of like, he's not part of the immediate family of the Fujiwara clan, but he was like part of, I think they called it like the cadet branch, where okay. he's, he, he's part of like putting in charge certain like regulations and things going on there. But not super powerful. Yeah, like, so he's he couldn't necessarily get, like, an audience with the emperor that day, but powerful enough to, like, pull in some favors when he needed them. Yeah, he wasn't yeah. worried about being high-ranking at court, right? It wasn't he, his thing. Yeah, he's not involved in that. He's not really... That's not his, his jam, if you yeah. will. I saw what I read about Murasaki's specific branch of the Fujiwara clan is that they were described to be part of the quote-unquote literati, which I thought was a super fun word. Like Illuminati, but for literature, I'm here for it. <laughs> yes! Yes, me too! <laughs> Unsurprisingly. Literati. I'm like, how do I join the literati? This sounds amazing! <laughs> so that means while the rest of the Fujiwara clan were concerned with, like, being movers and shakers at court... Murasaki's family were much more concerned with uh, learning and the arts and yeah. literature. And dad was really into Chinese classics and poetry passed down through generations. So, again, we're in Heian period. <laughs> and this is when Japan and China are in love with each other again. Mm -hmm. It's that mm -hmm. toxic relationship. Yeah. And so it's been passed down to learn a little bit of Chinese throughout, you know, her history. And 
her father and grandfather both were writers themselves. And this is a time when they were in love with Chinese classics. Mm -hmm. So it was just, you know, oh, the ancient literature from China. So, I mean, that's where we're at. So we don't know much about Mirasaki's mom because <laughs> she's a woman. Why the fuck Why would, would we even know that? Why Ugh. would we? <laughs> uh, but likely that her mother died young, most likely in childbirth. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we know this is because Mirasaki was really young. And at the time, she was raised by her dad in her dad's house. So... From a modern perspective, you're like, Nathan, Why, duh. why is that a big deal? Of course she's <laughs> raised by... Of course she's raised in her dad's house. Why would that yeah. be a big deal? Yeah. Well, back then, though, in Japanese culture at the time, husbands and wives didn't live together. So mm-hmm. husbands and wives were literally in separate households. Yeah. And when the baby was born, they just stayed in the other's household the, mo- the mom's household yeah, yeah so and also like, i think we should also make sure to note that this was um a polygamous society yes very very a man could have as many wives as he could afford to support so he put all his wives in different houses yeah because you know men get to have multiple women and they get to get them all pregnant and then leave them just to clean up the mess <laughs> Bye. <Hey>, you're welcome <laughs> But the fact that she was raised in her dad's household is noteworthy. Because, yeah, it means that her mom be dead. Mm -hmm. Um, It's interesting, though, because usually when the mother died, they'd send the kids to go live at a female relative's house. Yeah. But, and it's a nice, cute, well-toned butt. Um, <laughs> the fact that her dad took her and her siblings in to live with him, very unconventional. Yeah. It's, um, and, uh, it's kind of cool. That he yeah. Just, he wanted his kids to be with him. I mean, the bar's on the floor. But for the time, like, that, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, so dad also had three of Murasaki's half-siblings, because, you know, polygamy. Mm -hmm. Um, They lived in the house, too. So the fact that he seemed to like his own kids was kind of wild for the time. What a concept. I know. (laughs) So um, we've talked about how, you know, the whole situation for women was kind of a bag of dicks. So speaking of bag of dicks for women, let's talk about education. Not great. Not great. (laughs) As they would say in Australia, nur. Nur. Um, As a woman, you were expected, and this is this is you know this is the medieval times. So as a woman, you're expected to learn calligraphy, embroidery, painting, dancing, uh, play a musical instrument. There specifically was an instrument called a koto, which is a long string instrument. Yeah, think of like memoirs from a geisha and you see her like play. What? Never saw memoirs from a geisha. (laughs) Well, you should. And they play this instrument that's long and stringed and it's like, you know, the typical, when you think of like Japanese instruments, yeah. This is the one. And everything that she learned was considered, or not considered, quote-unquote, 
masculine. Yes, just um, like in any other medieval time when it's like you learn dancing and basic reading and, you know, just like the the things to make you a good wife, to make somebody want to marry you is basically... I, I would have been fucked. <laughs> They're like, learn something masculine. I'm like, can I dance, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, no. If you were if you were a woman, you would have been fine. Yeah. Well, yeah Nothing but, masculine. <laughs> but guess what was considered masculine? What? Learning to read in but. depth concepts like they would have been expected to learn to read like basic stuff yeah the learning to read like super in-depth concepts and learning to read in chinese which was the language of diplomats in japan for the time was a hard no for the ladies yeah but she did not let this get her down and it just so happened that her brother was not Quite as smart as she was. <laughs> Murasaki would end up eavesdropping when her brother was learning Chinese literature and how to write and how to speak. She was picking it up faster and better than he ever could have. Like, yeah. she started impressing on her father by how much she was just randomly able to quote things from Chinese history. This bitch is smart. Um, She's writing poems. She's writing literature as a child, like the Chinese masters. Like, so she's learning all of this different linguistics and how to write things down. And she also would have been Buddhist. So, hate to spoil it for you guys, but there's no pulpa this time. No pulpa in the time. Only the Buddha. (laughs) So... We have a quote from her diary here, and I actually want to then dissect this quote a little bit. Okay. So she says, uh, in in her diary, she writes, When my brother was a young boy learning the Chinese classics, I had a habit of listening to him, and I became unusually proficient at understanding those passages that he found too difficult to understand and memorize. Father a most learned man, was always regretting that fact, saying, just my luck. What a pity you were not born a man. So, um, I think she probably wore this quote with pride. But also, I'm finding holes in this story. And Mm -hmm. that is, okay, I believe that she could have been eavesdropping and learning Chinese, the spoken language. So I believe she could have, like, learned the spoken language from eavesdropping it but we know she wrote it and she wrote it well you don't learn that from eavesdropping i think her dad was teaching her but it was that was too unconventional for them to like talk about what do you think like i think they were he was like i'm gonna teach you but you gotta keep that shit on the download you gotta pretend like you you accidentally picked it up what do you absolutely i think the same thing is he realized how smart she was and was like oh shit She's like 10 times smarter than my son, who's gonna carry the legacy. Um, that, that was big quotes right there, if you didn't Nathan hear them. was doing big bunny, bunny ears there. <laughs> and then guess who really carried the legacy? Yes! His daughter! Yes. So I think, I just think that it's so funny that even until like, that they just had to tell everybody that she picked it up accidentally. But I think dad was teaching her. Yeah, I I hate this for her, but at least she made it on her own, right? Yeah, yeah. 
So she eventually picks up how to read and how to write. And she was especially good at kana, which uh, kana writing is based on Chinese. Again, we're in a love-hate relationship with mm-hmm. China. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was brought about the time that Buddhism was brought to Japan. So we're talking 6th century at this point. Right. So like 500 years prior to this story. Yes. Yeah. So let's dick ourselves into a rabbit hole. (laughs) That's me jumping down a rabbit hole. (laughs) So at this time, and I'm going to try to say this one word very well, uh, Japan's language is done through syllabaries. I said it right. That would be my guess. Yeah. It's so, it's so hard to say. Um, But it's syllables that translate to a physical language um, that you can speak with your mouth. And Chinese characters at this time were called kanji. So you couldn't really, in Japan, speak the characters because it didn't match the pronunciation. And so in Japanese, it didn't quite translate to the pronunciations, the dialects, the characters of the Chinese language didn't quite match what they were doing. So they ended up taking these Chinese characters and wrote them in a more cursive, slanted form to make them represent the way that Japanese speak. So... Interesting. I know. So they just literally, like, tilted it a little bit, created Like, put them in italics? Yes, put it in italics, made it maybe a little apostrophe afterwards. (laughs) Um, And this style that they used was called hiragana, which was a mixture between kanji and the other dialects. Um, And they put it all in a blender, and that's where you get kana, which is what Lady Mirasaki ended up learning to write really, really well. Um, And so kana also ended up being, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but kana ended up being almost exclusively the written dialect of women, right? Yes, yes. Yes. So it was a, a, a courtly woman thing that feels and stop me if i'm wrong but that feels like this is um a unique to this story yes plot line i feel like i can't think of any other episode we've done where it's like this is the first one i think we've talked about where it's like so separate that the women were basically using a different alphabet to write yeah and kana would have been considered more of like a dirtier language like if cockney you will. yeah like or like Hello, a deep gaga. Or like a deep southern accent, like, hey, y'all. like Yeah, like you yeah. just imagine walking up to King Charles now and being like, hello, Gavda, would you like a spot of tea? And he'd be like, uh, yeah. And he'd be like, uh, get this peasant out of here. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, we got to dig ourselves out of this rabbit hole. Please. But let's please revisit it another time. So while the Minute Court would have looked at Kana and been like, we don't know her. Like, that's not, that's beneath <laughs> us. The men were like, we're too educated to use Kana. We're only going to write in Chinese. That's the language of diplomats. Yes. So that's how it became widely adopted by noble women, right? Yeah. And it's, it's almost like their secret code, their secret language. They're writing to each other without fear of the men <clears throat> who are going to read what they're writing. So the men are like, that's beneath me. I can see it's in Kana, so I'm not even going to try to read it. Yeah, so it's a way for them to communicate with each other and not be scared of what they have to say, right? That's really cool. As much as I hate that, you know, a language was discriminated against because it was too, quote-unquote, female, 
I do love that women at court started writing in this style and, um, you know, kept it going. Like, we get a fucking peep into what royal court was like because of this, because the women were writing letters to each other and because the women were writing poetry in Kana. They were also, like, where the men, what survives from the men are maybe, like, epic poems and, like, diplomatic shit. The women were writing about, like, hookups. Yes. They were writing about fashion. So it has become kind of like the language about uh, fashion and boning. And I'm not mad about that at Well, all. I mean, we've... These we've are all, a few of my favorite, favorite things. things. <laughs> fashion and boning. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, th- think about, like, um, what's the Netflix series? Lady Whistledown. Um, For, um, uh, 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 Bridgerton. 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 That is what this is, guys. Like, it literally, you have women finally writing historical documents about what is happening at court. So let's just, yeah, let's just cut through the shit. This is the first gossip columnist that we get, (laughs) right? So Lady Murasaki is dressed for success at this point. Right. You know, women aren't typically educated, but Murasaki has been educated in some of the Chinese classics, knows how to write kana, and we love to see this. So she's kind of got both sides. She's got the yeah. education on both sides where she could speak to men or women. Noble, educated. She's yeah. Yeah, she's beautiful. But the thing is... Men aren't lining up around the corner to be with her. Do we know that she's beautiful? I don't remember. I I didn't find anything about how she looked. I, 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 I I'm gonna. Well, okay. You're picturing her being beautiful because because <laughs> beauty is in the eye of the beholder. And Nathan Nathan finds women who are well educated and smart and funny beautiful. So well, I, lucky me. <laughs> So men aren't lining up to see her at this. But one thing is that it also seems even with other women, Murasaki didn't really make friends super easily. Like everyone viewed her as pretentious, awkward, hard to approach. Bitch, Um, I'm sorry. I'm smarter than you. It's not my fault. (laughs) There, it, it just kind of makes me wonder because I've known, I know a lot of people that are super smart and are still charismatic and yeah. make friends easily. It just, she just what I think maybe she was shy, honestly. I think she was shy and she was very smart and she was one of those people that you'd be like, so how's the rain in Spain? And she'd be like, actually, it's 72 degrees and there's a, like a forecast of 20. Uh, like she's one of those people. Whatever that, percentage. Uh, and <laughs> you're just like, bitch, I'm just trying to make. Small talk, and she's Small like, talk. no, actually, yeah. I know everything. Like, so she came across as pretentious. Yeah, yeah. They were like, I was just really expecting her to say the weather's good and, like, be pleasant <laughs> about it. Yeah, so I don't think she was, like, I, I hate that people paint her out to be, like, this, oh, she was a... Ugh. Hoity-toity, thought she was better no, than everybody. No, she was just, she was probably just a shy girl that, that knew a lot awkward. of shit. Yeah, yeah, that was just a little awkward. I can relate. Um, yeah. So talking about relationships. Um, so like we mentioned earlier, men and women lived separately. And right. as a girl, you're not even allowed to be around another guy without some close relative next to you. So, I mean, close relative like father, 
older brother, you know, not like your drunk well, Uncle Carl who goes out <laughs> to the bar sometimes. Like, no. Well, I read, though, like, not so much you weren't even allowed to be around other men without your father nearby. Except that, no, the only men you uh, you talked to were yeah. your father, brother. And that was, like, it. That's it. That's your only yeah. connection. And Drunk Uncle Carl married- would not even been let in the building. No, he shouldn't be anyway. <laughs> anyway um, yeah. they, he should be cut they, off. Right. Um, <clears throat> they were married off as women... Far before you meet, reach puberty. So, so let's girls. not. So not as women. As yeah, girls. let's yeah. let's not get into that. Bar. <laughs> but, but it seems like her dad was super protective. I mean, isn't this this is refreshing? It is refreshing. <laughs> and he was like, "No, I actually like my daughter, and I don't want to just marry her off to the first guy that comes around, and I want to make sure that she's happy and taken care of." Oh, what a novel thought! <laughs> what a novel thought for a lady that will write a novel. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I love it. <laughs> so her dad wasn't ready to marry her off instantly. She was young, and instead. She ended up taking a more unconventional approach that he had already had with his kids. So when Murasaki was about early 20s, some people say maybe early 30s, um, her dad was assigned as governor of a town across the country. And he was like, hey girl, hey, want to come with? And pretty normal today. Like he would say, oh, that, I mean, dad's leaving. Take your daughter. Take your child. Yeah. <laughs> but that wasn't a thing back then. Uh, people would have been like, why? Why would you want why? your daughter to come with you? Huh? And also, I mean, I guess now I guess it would kind of, like if I was, when I was 25, if my dad was moving across country, it wouldn't be weird for me to come with him. But it also wouldn't have been weird for me to be like, well, no, I've already got a life here. So people were sort of like, why aren't you just setting her up with a household and a husband? Like, yeah. What are you doing? She's going to get in your way. She's going to get on your nerves. And he was like, no, I actually like my daughter. So she's, <laughs> I'm fine with her coming with me. And he wanted her to see the world. Because women back then, I guess most people in the population back then didn't really travel far from where they were born no. to begin with. But especially women would have never seen more than like maybe the town over. Even even that was a hard maybe. So I think he was like, this is my one chance in the world to let, or my one chance in her life to make sure that she sees some of, some parts of the world. Now, given this was like by today's standards, it would only be a two hour car ride. But yeah. back then, I mean, that was like a three day journey, you know, like. Yeah. So it's like him trying to educate his favorite child and, uh, just give her culture and understanding. And it, was, it was such an, ever, just like everything else with her, like with her dad, like with her dad, she should have never lived with him. She should have never learned to, she should have never been educated as she was and she should have never traveled. But her dad took all these unconventional steps and look what, and we're still talking about her a thousand years later. Yes. So she was there with her dad for two years when he decided that she needed to go back to the capital and get married. And at this point, we don't really know if she was into that or not, given how much her dad 
gave her the freedom to mm-hmm. live unconventionally, we have to assume that, you know, she's mid-20s, early 30s at most. She's lived a little bit of her life. So at this point, she's like, you know what? I'm not going to fight this. You know, maybe I want kids. Exactly. I feel like if she would have been like, no, I don't want to do this, he wouldn't have made her. Just given, we don't know anything about him, but just based on everything up to this point. But yeah, like you said, maybe she was right. Maybe she was like, you know what? I do want a family or something. Yeah. So in 998 or so-ish, Ish. <laughs> <laughs> she was sent home and got married, which honestly, refreshing as that like She was a, like in her 30s and not yeah, 12. <laughs> yeah, she, exactly. So we have to talk a little bit about the groom. You're all serious. His name was Fujiwara. Huh? Because they're related. Because they're related, obviously. <laughs> Nobutaka. So Fujiwara Nobutaka, um, her dad's second cousin. Keeping it you in have, the family. You have your cousins <laughs> and your first cousins. First cousins. And your second and your cousins. your second cousins. <laughs> no, no. No, honey, That's no. not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> so Nobutaka was her dad's age. Gross. Um, so not as refreshing as the rest of it. But again... <laughs> I, I did read one thing, um, and we'll link all of the sources in the show notes, but I did read one thing that suggests that maybe they had known each other before she moved away with her dad, and that That's they dope. had been pen pals this whole time. So, like, maybe she actually was, like, I like him. I like him enough, you know. Enough to be married to him. I mean, yeah. he was a little self-centered, and he also had, I mean, we talked about polygamy um he had three other kids from different wives but nothing too out of the norm for japanese culture at the time so for the time and the place this was incredibly normal yeah and from all the resources they seem to have had a happy marriage um murasaki's poems at the time indicate possibly that she didn't like him um but I, we really I, don't know. We, we just really, really don't, don't know. know. There's like one or two things in her poems that maybe, maybe give us an indication-ish. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like because of how we'll see later that she writes a lot of like what she is feeling. If it was like an abusive relationship or something, at the t- I think we would read that. Maybe she yeah. didn't. Maybe she just got married and realized, oh, I don't like old dick. You know, like... <laughs> As most young women would say, (laughs) if they married an old man. (laughs) I don't think he was mean to her or anything. No, but as tradition would dictate, Mirasaki has to set up her own household and get everything together. And even if she didn't like him, she doesn't have to live with him. Like, that's the whole culture thing. Like, there's no, like, He's only around every other day or something. Yeah, so... In 999, she ends up giving birth to a daughter named Kenshi, who eventually, oddly, becomes a writer and poet herself. Imagine that. Intelligence is passed down through women. Huh. Yeah. Sadly, um, only like a year after the birth of their daughter, her husband died. There was a huge cholera outbreak in the time. Bye, buddy. He, He gone. Luckily for Murasaki, you know, her husband, he hadn't been, like, wildly wealthy, but like we said, that their whole family was well-to-do. So she got to keep her household. She got to keep her staff. 
And she was set up pretty comfortably. If she would have wanted to, she could have just coasted and done nothing. I know. Chill for the rest of her life. I read that at this point in her life, you know, she obviously was a little emotionally distressed. As Um, you might be. Yeah. And she was reading, writing. She had plenty of time to, unlike many women who lose a husband, you have to take care of all the kids and do all of this. And there's only one of you. She had a household to help her out. Exactly. So she had time to really um, cope with some of the things that were going on in her life. And she delved into reading and writing. So she started reading romantic poems, which makes a lot of sense. Like if you've lost a loved one who who just passed away, you're looking for that romanticism. Escapism. That, that fe- yes, exactly. And she's getting, she's getting inspiration for her own yeah. writings, which this is a new way to deal yeah. with life as a I woman in Japan, as a mother, as a widow. This is a whole different way that she's able to explore her feelings. I love, and this time in her life, she started writing her work that she is most famously known for, and it's called Genji Monogatari, or as we would say it in English, The Tale of Genji. So legend has it, her husband dies, and she goes to this like monastery temple, this Buddhist yes. monastery temple to retreat, to reflect, to pray. That's not, like, we hear about this all the time when we talk about, like, in medieval times and Western cultures as well. The husband dies. We just talked about it, actually, in um, our Empress Mm -hmm. Matilda episode. Husband dies. The woman goes to, like, religious life to, like, get her head right. And it's especially noteworthy because in Eastern culture, there is a very hard line with they have this spiritual connection with the moon. Right? Like, so, there's this one August night, and apparently she's staring up at the moon, and she becomes inspired to write the story. So, the moon, if you're an astrology type of person, the moon rules your emotions. So, it makes a lot of sense that she's staring up the moon, there's all these emotions, and she's writing them down. Some people will say that this is complete bullshit, but it's noteworthy because... Um, artists, anybody who was an artist at the time, would draw pictures of her staring up at the moon. And it depicted her looking up at the moon to find this inspiration to write this story. Y'all should really Google it. Like, there, anytime you Google Murasaki, Lady Murasaki, pretty much the only, the all the depictions that show up are images of this woman in, like, these beautiful robes, just, like, writing under a gorgeous moon. And it, it just... It's so, it's so pretty. It's inspiring, right? Yeah. Like, I feel like I am a princess riding underneath the moon every day of my life. Oh, oh. I love <laughs> this for you. I love this for you. So, regardless of when or where she was or how or how not she got her writing, she did it. She started. Right? <laughs> She's highly intelligent. She's well-versed. She went through all of these emotions, and she's pushing 30-something. And she's channeling all of that grief and that feeling and that emotion, and she's pouring it into 
the world's first, first novel. novel. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. No, or no big deal. No, no. no. Who, who needs it? I get so emotional, baby. <laughs> Nathan, you know what? I before we get on to the rest of it and what goes on from there, I really need to top off my drink. Me, so, Subu. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll be right back. Burp. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, it's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. And we're back, bitches! Bitches! So, Lady Mirasaki is writing this completely new form of literature. Right. Like, she's writing in this Kana language, and there's been stories told, written down, and this one was different because it wasn't in poetry. The style is different. Like, we had... We have epic poems. Like, go back to the Iliad. It's not like that's telling stories new. But it's written um, in prose, and it's written in chapters. Um, and the only thing that's really related like that, at least in, again, people debate what the first novel is. But especially for, like, this time and place, the only thing that had been written, like, in prose and chapters before are, like, history books. But it's not a history book. It's fiction. I've uh, also read it described as the first, um, If okay, if you don't want to say it's the first novel, you could say it's the first historical fiction. But... Why can't they just give her the title that she was the first novelist? Because ah, vagina. Yes. Um, <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> it is, but it is also, even people that don't want to call it the first novel, a lot of people will call it the first psychological novel. And what that means is that you get insight into everybody's thoughts and feel. You get insight into all the characters' psychology. That... Yes. Other pe- other people weren't writing like that at the time, being like, like we do in modern day novels, where you know the insight of the characters, and that was brand new. Yeah, and she's writing, she's got all of these creative juices flowing, and she's just pouring out the story. And after she has the first few, what we call, you know, quote unquote, chapters, she's like, I think, she's like, I think, I think something good going on here i think other people <laughs> might like this too so she emails it to her friends mm-hmm. and she's like idk what do you think and everyone's like 
IDK, question mark, we want more. What happens next? <laughs> like, what yes, happens they next? are invested. And then the chapters start making their way into the ladies in waiting. So quick disclaimer, ladies in waiting at the time would have been educators, tutors, poets to the empress or somebody powerful who was a woman in court. And everyone in court was like, wait, this nerdy girl? They're like, that girl that we've met once or twice at like some event hanging out with her dad? She wrote this? The one that was real awkward at court and was being opinionated? She's the one that wrote this this thing that we can't get enough of? Educated, opinionated women write great shit. Um, huh. <laughs> Katie's like pats herself on the I mean, back. I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but but not after not long after this, she was asked to come to court and was formally invited to be a tutor for some of the royal women in court. Yeah, and eventually for the empress herself. Okay, so why was everyone so excited about this book? Like, what? Let's kind of do. A brief overview of what the tale of Genji was about. Romance novel. Soap opera. Soap um, opera. This shit <laughs> is textbook soap opera. Like, do you remember <laughs> Passions? This shit is Passions. Like, <laughs> it's a story about Genji. And Genji is a handsome, strong, and brave son of an emperor. Mm-hmm. And then Genji has an affair with a married woman, and they have a child together. Scandal. So we see these scandals, and then it just... Genji has, like, a hundred love affairs. He just fucks and fucks and fucks and fucks every lady at the court. He's got Sounds these like Henry babies. The He's like, yeah, you're, wrong. you're not wrong. <laughs> and then he has all these torrid affairs. Something that we will touch on a little bit here... But aren't going to get that deep into, like, we talked about the men having lots of wives. The women of court had a lot of affairs, too. But discretion was a huge deal. So that's why not a whole lot of it survives into what we know. They were on the DL. There was a lot of women (laughs) fucking on the DL at the court. But it, so she is writing what these women are actually living but they can't talk about it, and they're just eating it up, eating it up, eating it up. Mm-hmm. And then Genji gets a, a exiled and stripped of his titles. He goes on this journey where there's lots of murderiness and sexiness and amnesia-ness and child brightness. Um, love, lust, court gossip, political intrigue, fashion critiques. Fashion. Um. <laughs> It's got like it's got like a subplot with identical twins switching places. Like scandalous, bitch. Does this like, sound like a soap opera to you? Yes, it's but there like, was nothing totally. else like it going around. And that's why she's so famous is because mm-hmm. nothing like this ever existed before. So Lady Murasaki went to court in about one thousand five, and this would have been a couple of years after she started writing Genji, y'all. The life of a noblewoman at this time, dull as fuck. Oh my god, it sounds so boring, very isolated. Men were not allowed to be there. Very, very concerned with fashion. 
And, like, all they did was change clothes, write poetry, and sneak off and have affairs. But, like, they're... I mean, it sounds fun to me. So, yeah, sounds <laughs> fun. But it also, from everything I read, it was very dull. But real quick, I went down, unsurprisingly, um, I went down a rabbit a hole. Rabbit about. Hole? I went down a fashion <laughs> rabbit hole. And I am obsessed with this level of extraness. Extrosity, oh, yeah. if you will. Um, first of all, extrosity. <laughs> first of all, these women were expected to grow their hair down to the floor. Yeah, floor length mm-hmm. hair, and that sounds like a tripping hazard. But okay. Um, next, they blackened their teeth. They would paint their teeth black every like two or three days or something like that. I couldn't really find the rhyme or reason behind that one. Well, I mean, you don't have to have dental work if you don't have no teeth. Nope, not true. <laughs> Not true. So, the, but the one that I was became really obsessed with and spent so much time reading about are these robes that they wore. They would wear these layers and layers and layers of robes. The ideal layer is twelve layers, but there was so much that went into. Um, so they would layer these twelve robes, and the ones that were on top would like be cut to where you could see all the ones below. Okay. And then the colors that you wore them in, like the order that you wore them in, like uh, portrayed a message. So the, status, uh, a, a status symbol. A status right? symbol. Like, a status symbol, obviously, because like, look how nice my robes are. Look that I can actually yeah. afford all twelve of them. But she's telling a can, story. But yeah, well. but also, um, like maybe if you were in a bit of a bitchy mood, you would put the colors in one layer instead of the other one. Or if you were going to meet somebody that you thought was like very high ranking, you'd wear them in one order. And if you were going to meet somebody that wasn't quite so high ranking, you'd wear the colors in a different order or a different pattern, or you'd switch them up every single detail about what these women wore was scrutinized so heavily no i i can completely like if i was given the opportunity just the opportunity to express my feelings through my clothes i'd be like i'm mad so i'm gonna wear all red today yeah touch me (laughs) but something that's interesting is if it wasn't for um the tale of genji we might not understand. Like, no one else was really writing about, like, the intricacies. Court life. That yeah. went into, like, just things of, like, what I wore that day. And um, because of the tale of Genji, we understand that these complexities that went into what women put on that, that day, what it was supposed to represent. So that was a big old rabbit hole I spent, like, an hour down. <laughs> Anyway, (laughs) she's at court now. She's at court looking fabulous. Mm -hmm. And the emperor had more than one wife and each had their own residences because, again, they're separated Mm -hmm. and they were all in the capital with their own courts, these women. And each of these courts had various different levels of influence. Mm -hmm. And Lady Mirasaki had been invited to join the court of, you know, None other than the Empress Soshi. So Empress Soshi was a distant cousin of hers. She was also from the Fujiwara clan. So Soshi was probably about only like 16 whenever she became the Empress. It's a long story that we don't have time to go into. It might be an interesting Patreon uh, episode. 
but her, the emperor at the time was emperor, whew, I try, I'm trying y'all, Ishijou. So Ishijou had other wives, but Soshi's dad was this guy named Fujiwara Mishinaga. And yeah, the Fujiwara from Michigan. He was he was the Michigan <laughs> Fujiwara. <laughs> but no, Michigana um, was like when you think of like. Sorry to always bring up Game of Thrones, but when you think of like the hand of the king, mm-hmm. Michigana was the hand. He was no. You know what? No, I'm not even going to say he was the hand. You know how in um, Have you ever seen my big fat Greek wedding, where she yes. was like. The woman may not be the head of the family, but she's the neck that turns the head. Michigana was Ah. the neck of government at the time because the emperor was kind of just doing whatever Michigana was telling him to do. So I really can't stress enough how important this Michigana guy was at court at the time. And apparently, they were already having an affair by the time she came to Maybe. Hard maybe. Drama. 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 (laughs) We'll talk about it a little bit more in depth later. But Lady Murasaki, like, she was... So the evidence... The only evidence at the early time is that um, she was doing all her writing on this really fancy paper that she probably wouldn't have had access to on her own. So, and then being that Michigana was the one being like, Hey, come to court and work at my daughter's court. And then who would have had access to this really fucking fancy and expensive paper, the most powerful dude in the country. So he may have been supplying her with that paper and he may have been supplying her with that dick. With that that dick. With With that. that Anyway, we are, (laughs) I wonder why people don't like our show. I wonder why people think that we're so silly. We'll never know if they were bumping butts. But we do know that Michigana thought Lady Murasaki was the bee's knees. The smartest woman in the whole damn world. Because guess what? She probably was. She's probably She probably was. I'm not disagreeing with him. And he wanted his daughter like to have the most impressive ladies in waiting. So she was appointed to Soshi's court, and started teaching the teenage empress how to write poetry. Mm-hmm. She also started to reach her, uh, teach her how to read Chinese, but no one knew that until way later, mm-hmm. after she died. I think there was like some stories about how in court they sent, like, um, Lady Mirasaki was teaching her at the time Chinese, and they put up a Chinese character behind. Like on a screen or something. Yes. And they yes. put it right and behind. And it was like it was this like... huge scandal. And so Empress Soshi acted like, oh, I don't know what that is. But no, she later we found she knew. out. She knew. She was learning how to, <laughs> to read and write. Yes. Oh, oh shame on you. <laughs> we. So it was a scandal. And we love an educational scandal. It is our favorite yes. type of scandal. Yes. So. While at court, Murasaki continued to write, and she kept on pumping out chapter after chapter of Gamji. And but now she was, you know, sitting in court. People are starting to whisper, like, "Wait, so who's this? Who's this based on? Who's who's she talking about? This sounds like that bitch over there. Do you think this is about that bitch over there? 
Maybe it's about that bitch over there. I don't know. It, mm. it could be about uh, Barbara think, over in the corner. I don't, do you think I don't Barbara and Stanley are fucking? Do you think yeah. this is about Barbara and Stanley? Possibly. Possibly. Uh, <laughs> so the popularity is growing and growing and growing. She's like Lady Whistledown. Yes. Right. She totally <laughs> Except is. Except it's fiction. Except it's fiction. She has like a... I oh. know. But it's court just like gossip and scandal and people are like... We need more. More, 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 more. Yeah, and, and in the book, Genji's main love interest is named Murasaki. So this is where we think her name came from. So yeah. she was named posthumously. Did no, I, I think posthumously? posthumously, but no, I think people did start referring to her as Lady Murasaki in her life. Because, um, like, they gave nicknames because it was too embarrassing to... Um, call somebody by like their actual name and there was like this story where this diplomat comes to court or whatever and so um everyone's having dinner maybe he was a diplomat maybe he was a poet he was a he was a popular he 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 was a powerful dude and this powerful dude's at dinner with everybody and he looks at lady m and is like oh are you this murasaki everyone's talking about and so she thought that that was so flattering that this guy that was so um so well to do and so famous knew a character from her book. And so that's the story. I don't know how true it is, but that's the story of how she started being called Lady Murasaki. It's because she it was just the most popular character from the book. So Ah, love it. Yeah. So there are so many wild plots in the tale of Genji that we we don't have time to go into. Maybe it's a Patreon. Maybe um, it's a Patreon. Maybe in Patreon we'll talk about how Genji needs therapy. I don't know. Stick around to find out. <laughs> Also, while she wrote other poetry, she kept a very detailed diary. So she kept herself busy. You know, she was always writing. And her diary survives to this day, which is so fortunate because for us, it's one of those ways that we find out how women were living at the time, right? Like, yeah. And so it's very like eye opening into what the culture was like. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, because of her writings, we also have historical accounts that we might not know. Because people weren't writing about the women's side of court, births weren't being documented. But yep. because she was there, we have written accounts of the births of two future emperors. Um, and w- one thing I found really, I found really interesting is, um, so, so she's second birth of one of her sons who would go on to be emperor was particularly hard. And so they contemplated shaving her head while she was in labor because Buddhist monks, you know, have shaved heads. And so that yeah. maybe this will give them the luck of a monk. And, um, they contemplated uh-huh. it and then they ended up just cut, but like, it was also like women were supposed to have hair down to their feet. You want me to shave my head? And so what they ended up doing was just cutting out like a chunk. And then the baby came soon later. So So they were like, magic. Didn't didn't need to do the whole head. So, but like, if it wasn't for somebody documenting everything so obsessively, we wouldn't know that. And I just, I just love, I just, uh, love it. One of, one of, uh, if not the first like court documentary person. For women. For women. Yeah. That 
took all of the accounts of what women had to deal with at the time and wrote it down so that women's fashion, women's gossip, that women were fucking. People were just assuming women weren't like, no, like just. Your husband hasn't touched you because he's touching five other women. And well, I'm going to go. Of course you're going to flick the bean. It's Um, just, it's just so, so much that we're just scratching the surface. And I just, I'm so grateful that she wrote all this shit down, you know? Yeah, and however, despite the popularity of her writing, she had this close relationship with the Empress, and Lady Mirasaki wasn't all that popular. Um, remember how we At said court, that? Like, yeah, yeah, she just wasn't. She was. She was the. Awkward. She was the smart girl. She that wasn't you approachable. Yeah, well, I, I equate her with that really intelligent woman that you go and say, "Hey, so what do you think about?" the cubs and she's like well the cubs are based on the the bears and the bears like she just has all of this we all knew knowledge. we all knew a girl like that or a guy like that even in high school who were perfectly nice but couldn't carry on a conversation to save their fucking yes. lives like, just, she was just awkward and because she was standoffish and kind of quiet and smarter than everybody everybody was like <laughs> you think you're better than me you know and Katie, Katie can relate. <laughs> no. I wouldn't. I feel like standoffish is one of the last words I would no, ever use no. to describe myself. I feel like I'm incredibly get, social. <laughs> but I get, I, I get, oh, her Pisces is coming out. I feel like, well, no. I can hold a conversation. I can make polite conversation. <laughs> well, no. <laughs> But no, you're not standoffish, but you can carry on conversation. <laughs> but it was at this point that the ladies in waiting gave her the nickname Lady of the Chronicles. Oh my god. Which can sounds called, nice. Can I be called Lady of the Chronicles? Do you want me to start calling you Lady of the Chronicles? I definitely can. Yes. Oh. <laughs> it sounds nice. It sounds like it's meant to be flattering. But without going into too much detail, it basically meant that, like, Murasaki thought she was more educated than everybody. You know what? You know what, though? Maybe she was a little bit snobby. She wasn't raised. I I, yeah. And so, like, when they're saying, like, oh, Lady of the Chronicles, just being like, all she wants to do is books. And she's just like, yes, actually, all I do want to do is books. <laughs> she, she wore it like a badge of honor. <laughs> she really honestly, did. Like, it was meant to be an insult. And she was like, Lady of the Chronicles over here. <laughs> I would, too. Like, bitch, I love this. Like, yeah. she takes a negative connotation Flips it on its head and is like, you know what? I I will own Lady of the Chronicles Love because it. I am the Lady of the Chronicles. <laughs> Unfortunately, Murasaki, um, she wasn't happy at court. Uh, she didn't have a whole lot of friends. Uh, she just didn't fit in. The gossip, the rules, all those twelve robes. It was probably hot. It's Heavy. not. A, it's not a particularly cold place, Japan. I imagine no. twelve robes. Whew, It was was exhausting. She was exhausted. So she she was close to the Empress, and she did have this one other um, like person that she had like a student teacher kind of relationship with. But besides that, she didn't have any friends. It sounds kind of lonely. So also, all the women at court were having all these affairs, but she hated the men at court because she said that they were all misogynistic 
and drunk. Uh, oh, <laughs> I mean, that tracks for the next uh, 2,000 years. 2,000 years, <laughs> yes. I, I, I started to go down a rabbit hole about drinking culture in medieval Japan. It didn't lead me anywhere, so I stopped. I was like, how, how drunk would they get? Like, But it, I, I couldn't really find anything about that. But everyone at court also assumed that she was still hooking up with Mishinaga. And so, so I want to dive into the, I want to, let's, let's talk, let's, let's, let's gossip a little bit. Like, let's talk about this. Gossip, gossip story. So he was almost definitely really, really into her. But what historians debate is, was the feeling mutual? Was the relationship physical? She wrote in her diary, you have not read my book. And you have not won my love. Ooh. Oh. 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 So Ooh. also, I mean, like, if your whole thing is your writing and you know the person that's trying to... First of all, this guy already had three other wives. So I don't think he was trying to make her wife number four or anything. It was purely an extramarital thing. Yeah. But it's like, if you're trying to, like, win over somebody that... Like, if I was in the dating world and someone was trying to win me over, but they've never listened to a single episode of the podcast, I might be a little bit like, don't act like you know what I'm interested in. You know? like (laughs) It's clear. It's clear. (laughs) However, there is this story that appears to be true that one night he snuck into her room to try to take away the new chapter of Genji before it came out to, like, fuck with her. Like, um, probably as a practical joke. But I'm like, okay, if these courts were so separated, how did he how know did where he... her room was? Yeah. Yeah. How uh-huh. did he know where her room was? How did he know where she kept her writing? How did he, how was he like, oh, I'm going to be able to sneak in there while she's sleeping? Um. So he obviously knows where she sleeps, where she keeps her diary, where she does all of it. Mm-hmm. So this is giving me more than just a friends. It's vibe. giving me more than a rumor vibe. And also, okay, so here's my third and final speaking point on this. While she was at court, it got more expensive to write because she couldn't just like jot it down on that fancy paper she had and hand it out. She had to make lots of copies. And Mm -hmm. it's noted that all of her work was distributed on the finest paper in the finest calligraphy. So they were hiring the most talented calligraphers, calligraphists. Whatever. Um, they were paying <laughs> for the best people to actually copy it down. And who has the money for all of that? Oh, Mich- Oh, Michigan. Michigan. <laughs> so anyway. <Michigana. laughs> so based on that, what do you think? Do you think they were bumping butts? What do you think? I totally think they were bumping butts. But he was just like, again, lady whistled down. He's like supplying the paper. Yeah. And helping the rumors keep going on. Because back then, marriages weren't based on love. And if he already had a couple of wives, he wasn't looking for another wife that he was going to be financially responsible for. But he was maybe looking for... Passion. Uh, you want my passion yeah. for love. <laughs> but I love that she wrote, you do not have my love and you have not read my book. But maybe, maybe he got in those guts from time to time. I don't know. <laughs> We'll never know. 
And he was basically king. Like, he wasn't the emperor, but he was calling all the shots. So maybe that was a little bit of a turn on for her. I don't know. Right. So let's fast forward a little bit. And it's 10 11. Um, and the emperor is dead. And Emperor Soshi retires from court. And we think that's when Lady Murasaki ended up leaving court as well. But she was. She was like, give me, give me one reason to get out of here and I'm ready to bounce. So, yeah, whenever Soshi died, or I'm sorry, when Soshi left court, yeah, she's like, let's go. Let's go. And then the rest of her life is kind of a question mark. Um, it's generally accepted that she retired to a Buddhist monastery, though some people say that she stayed with Empress Soshi at the time. However, after she left, there were still a few chapters that came out. There were still more Genji chapters that came out. Like, there, um, there's like 55 chapters. When she left court, there had only been 30 written. So people speculate, was she still writing from afar? Or did her daughter, who was now a lady-in-waiting to the new empress, take it up after her? I love this. Because her daughter was a famous poet as well. Yeah. But we don't know when Mirasaki died. Um, the date that most people accept is that 1014, so she would have been around 41, but again, bag of dicks, we don't know when she was but born. But we don't know, yeah. So. so, there's documentation of her dad rushing home for a few weeks in 1014, so that's where the speculation comes in that he was arranging a funeral, getting everything together. Some historians, though, believe that she lived a little bit longer than that, but sadly, we just, we'll never know. I, there's some people that believe that she lived until 1025, when the tale of Genji was completed. So, uh, or maybe it was 1021. Either way, they think that maybe she lived a bit longer. Um, though most people believe that, no, someone else took it up. But I kind of love the idea of she was like, I hate court life. I hate being a celebrity. I'm going to go off and pretend like I died. And then send the new chapters to my daughter, who's still at court. I kind of love the idea that maybe she pulled a Tupac. Ah, uh, she pulled a Tupac. <laughs> it's totally true. She totally did. Maybe. Ah, uh, I love this maybe. for her. <laughs> I mean, maybe she just wanted to write and be left alone. <laughs> I, I think that's exactly what she wanted. <laughs> I would too. Without so. Mi- Michigan's hands all up in her, trying to get all up in her robes. Fuck Michigan. No, don't <laughs> fuck Michigan. I love you, Michiganians. Michiganians? Did it I just make that up? Sure. Okay. So let, let's talk about her legacy. Woo! Yeah. Murasaki Shikubu was, has three pieces of work that still survive to this day. Tell of Gunji, The Diary of Lady Murasaki, and Poetic Memoirs. And we cannot stress enough that this was a pivotal moment in history where we got to see the life of women and the life of in women in Eastern culture. We don't get to see that very that, often. For this women from those, that level of society, so secluded from the people that were writing the histories, you know, we talked about, we got to see fashion and like culture and stuff like that. But there was also like, in Genji, there's stuff about, like, religious ceremonies and how it differs from men. And it was, like, stuff about poetry and how 
female relationships were with each other and how they related to music. Like it was just every single aspect of life that we have no other way of knowing. And it's, I mean, there are some other ways, but like, this is such a, oh, it's so pivotal. I love it. I love it. I love it. Yes. So let's raise a glass because she will always be remembered as the very first novelist. And yes, a woman that no one really liked and was very pretentious and was opinionated and very intelligent. Guess what? We she love her. Changed the world of literature forever. So And I like her very much. Cheers to this bitch. Cheers, bitch. Love her. <laughs> Cheers, bitches. <laughs> Thanks for listening, guys. Yeah, if you want to hear something, just email us at queenshistorypodcast at gmail.com. And follow us on social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have a really great Facebook discussion group. We'd love to see you over there, too. And if you're so inclined, we do have a Patreon account if you need more Queen's content in your life. Yes, yes. (laughs) Thanks Thanks for listening. Cheers, bitches.